0: Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast.
1: I think the short answer is talking to a lot of people uh, (laughs) and being okay with being told no (laughs) and not giving up on that.
0: It's time for Women Who Code Conversations, a segment to hear from top technology professionals sitting down with a Women Who Code member to discuss real world experiences in the industry what they've learned over the course of their career, and what they think is coming next for tech. And hello and welcome. Uh, I will now pass it on to our host and panel moderator, Stacey Devino.
2: Thank you so much, Melissa. Well, I am going to start by introducing our amazing panelists for tonight on starting your startup. And I really want you to pay attention to some of the wonderful women here before you today, as they have been from the very beginning through to even now some mature organizations, as well as worked on developing startups. They've also worked in the community, building up organizations like the one here tonight. So without further ado, I'd like to start with Esther Bobbin. Esther oversees row impacts, operational success, and leads the charge, developing strategies and procedures that support the functional scaling of the organization. With over 15 years of experience that cross-cuts international management consulting, enterprise systems integration, and natural language processing AI. She is also committed to the agricultural industry social justice reform and has led the charge as an as the executive director of a global nonprofit
3: united by chocolate little round of applause for esther today thank you and next
2: is haley demos haley is a driven entrepreneur and developer based right here in dallas she has a passion for innovation and technology and has made a name for herself in the business world as a visionary leader and active creator in software development. As a serial entrepreneur contributor, Haley has been at the forefront of creating cutting-edge solutions for businesses of all sizes. As a speaker, Haley is known for her dynamic and engaging style, as well as her expertise in the world of software development and entrepreneurship. She's delivered talks and presentations on a variety of topics, including startup strategy, technology trends, and software development best practices. Whether she's speaking to a room full of entrepreneurs or a group of developers, Haley's goal is always the same, to share her knowledge and expertise in a way that
3: inspires and empowers others to succeed. And now, Megan Groves. Megan Groves is a repeat startup
2: founder with two successful exits and has a deep history of launching new technologies, both as a fractional CMO for dozens of venture-backed companies and as an active advisor and angel investor. She is currently building her fourth company population to make it easy for businesses to future-proof their physical spaces, and create healthier indoor environments through an emerging technology that automatically reduces the risk of viruses and bacteria and provides meaningful data to the business operator. She's won an IoT Smart Cities Award from the Plug and Play Tech Center, as well as a Women's Stevie Award for Best
3: New Product, and has been published in tech journals like Forbes and GeekWire. And without further ado, finally, Rose Johnson.
2: Rose is a serial entrepreneur with five diverse startups to her credit and three exits in her 30-plus year career. She has a wide range of business experience covering eSports technology, energy, education, and food service. She's currently the co-founder and CTO of eSposure Incorporated an innovative esports technology company that is transforming the learning experience. Rose is the creative architect behind the development of a revolutionary learning experience platform that is immersive, gamified, and industry-disrupting. She is committed to revolutionizing the way education and learning experiences are
3: delivered to our global student population. Wow. Are all of you here? Are all of you here tonight? Sounds a little uh, amazing with the folks that we have. And um, I, I, I just, I can't, I can't wait to get started. So I guess kind of the first thing here, did any of you know that you wanted to be a founder? of a company kind of
2: early on in life or early on in your career?
3: Um, so I'll
4: start. I, I did. I, I, I knew early on that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And the proof that I wanted to is that I've actually never gotten a W-2 ever. I've never been an employee. I started off from the very beginning knowing that I wanted to start my own company and at that time, thirty years ago, I was um, there. There's not as much brand science as we have now when it comes to marketing. So I was my company. I was my brand. And at that time, you know, I decided that, hey, I'm going to trust me more than I trust anyone else. Let's see how this all works out. And you know, I'm going to live on faith, and I'm going to go out there and start my mm-hmm. own company. And uh, as as you know, as I've been blessed because I, I was able to do it for thirty you know plus years enjoy you know something that I really actually enjoy doing, and I got it right the first time. So I really am very blessed that that actually happened. But I knew early on that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I can
3: contrast
1: that story. Um... I did not think that I was going to be a founder. When I went into college, I thought, okay, this is exactly the game plan and things that I'm going to do. I thought I wanted to do biomedical engineering and have this very particular track. And I realized in the middle of it that it wasn't really speaking to me. Um, I ended up on a whim taking a startup class at Startup Aggielands. Um, and I kind of just fell in love with not, not only the idea of starting a company, but the idea of being very passionate about what you're doing in a way that's also helping other people. Um, So uh, I didn't find out until much later in life, I guess, but uh, it was a contagious feeling and I'm really happy with where I am.
5: Awesome. Lovely, I'll follow on. Uh, And thanks Stacey for the introduction and uh, thanks everyone for joining. It's really lovely to, to be here. Um, so I guess if I look back, there were early signs of uh, being an entrepreneur. And I guess, you know, probably in my, my earliest childhood days, um, picking daffodils from, you know, the field behind uh, the cul-de-sac and then reselling those to my neighbors for a nickel a bunch. I think that was a pretty <laughs> early indicator of that, uh, of that spirit. Uh, and actually, I came from uh, quite a long lineage of, uh, of entrepreneurs in various businesses, and so I think this notion of um, working for oneself was already kind of ingrained. Um, but uh, certainly, when I was doing my uh, MBA, I, I sort of knew that there was, um, you know, two different paths for me, and um, one was uh, to help be um, a facilitator in the growth of other people's companies, and the next obvious choice was to to start my own company, and so. Um, I think, you know, maybe my my shifting uh, or view of uh, scale has changed a lot. Um, the kind of company that I wanted to build um, previously was um, maybe more of a small business. And then uh, over time, uh, you know, with, um, you know, access to various uh, technology and growing my own network, I sort of um, understood there was a lot more that was, that was possible. And so I guess kind of my, my vision grew um, a lot greater than, um, you know, the childhood uh, flower selling. But, uh, you know, I think, um like i said i think there were early signs of um of that you know it's kind of in your dna oh.
6: i can definitely piggyback on that um it's also in my dna but i kept ignoring it um i don't know if a lot of you guys have felt the same but when your parents tell you to do something you look the other way and i had heard great stories about you know my grandma being entrepreneurial and my my dad always you know, kept supporting the idea of of entrepreneurialism. Um, But it was also in grad school um, where it was, uh, you know, it really opened my eyes. And then um, getting into um, the world of chocolate and trying to make change and butting my head up against the wall is when I had that aha moment of like, okay, just do it yourself, get it done. And that was the pivot for me um, into actually being an actionable and entrepreneur. What was the
2: first company that you founded, or what do you consider the first company that you founded? I mean, uh, Megan, Megan is over here being the daffodil salesman, um, but what what do you consider your first your first company, and why? Why did you found that first company?
3: Was it out of circumstance or passion or what did it for you?
5: I'll respond to that. So I think, um, you know, in uh, what I would consider to be my first company, uh, it was something that I started when I was 23 and it was sort of born out of um, a need, a necessity. Um, I, which I think is the case for, um, for a lot of companies that get started. Um, you know, it's typical that the founder has a real connection with the problem that they're trying to solve. And for me, it was very, it was very personal. I actually spent um, seven years of my life quite ill. Um, And as part of my kind of recovery journey, um, I'd gone down the rabbit hole and um, was um, really, really interested in natural medicine, um, was interested in nutrition, uh, herbs, you know, a variety of um, alternative medicine medicine paths. And I I thought at first that I, um, that kind of the next step was for me to become a doctor. But um, instead, I decided to um, set up a wellness center Uh, with um, a variety of different treatment rooms uh, and um, an educational platform and um, the ability for other people to come and uh, get access to resources that would help them on their healing journey. So that was something that I started when I was 23. Um, Later sold that um, five years, uh, so about five years later um, to a retired NFL player. Um, And uh, that was sort of, I guess, my first experience uh, creating, learning how to create something of transferable value. so I think, you know, uh, just to go back to what I said at the beginning, I think, you know, oftentimes, um, you know, the right businesses to build are businesses that, um, you know, you feel really kind of personally um, connected to, committed to, and, um, you know, sometimes it happens uh, by accident or by default of just getting really, really deep into um, to the problem space. Um, and other times, you know, maybe it's a little bit more um, of, a, of a conscious choice <laughs> or, or a rational decision um, and or something that. Um, people, you know, meet other founders and, and decide that they want to, you know, work on a problem together, join to forces, and, and and co-solve. Um, but for me, it was very, um, very personal and and very much stemmed out of um, kind of my own, um, you
3: know, health struggles and then um, and then improvement. So, thanks. And um, I can add to that as
4: well. So for me, it, it stemmed from me being a technology junkie. You know, after college, I, and I'm going to age myself when I say this, after college, I, I moved back to Dallas, and I started working for a company called PageNet. And I'd actually gone there as a consultant to help them with their back end office systems, with their journaling, accounting, and other things. And then at that time, the only pager they had was like the, the one-way pager. And so I wasn't necessarily that interested in the, the one-way pager. But then all of a sudden, while I was there, they started with two-way pagers. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. So what? You send a signal and it goes to a server and then it goes to another. And I just became just enthralled by the whole entire process of, you know, of pagers. And um, so then I, I worked there. And then after, you know, the, you know, eventually that was going to be kind of a... Um, you know, a, a dying breed at some point. There's only so much you can do with a, two, with a two-way pager. And um, so I ended up, um, you know, going into um, to MCI. They were doing like voiceover IP. They were like the leaders in voiceover IP. And I was like, okay, I've got to know about this. I've got to get out there. I've got to figure it out. And I went to MCI and then ended up, you know, starting my company there and actually started to hire um, a team of management consultants that were really good at voiceover IP. And so most of my, I'll say that just my journey has always just been just because I'm so intuitively interested in technology. If there's a new technology out, I'm so there. Like, that's all you have to say is there's a technology that's an emerging technology. I, I'm so there. So that has always
3: kind of just guided my path. I've, 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 I've followed the path of curiosity.
6: I love that. Um, I also I definitely love keeping my my um, eye on the technology and the curiosity, and that's actually how United by Chocolate ended up becoming a software developer. Um, it was not intended to create technology when um, United by Chocolate was was founded, but there was that need. Um, you know, it, it grew out of the, the the need for language translation and really empowerment for cacao farmers. Um, and I, I grew up in a family where my dad um, spoke nine languages. Um, I'm first generation here in the United States, and so for me it was always like in, intuitive to have access and to provide people, you know, with access to education in the language that that they can learn from. Um, and you know, seeing all this technology out there and and apps for translation. Um, And I will also date myself um, a little bit. So my coding days are about like 20 years ago, to tell you the truth. Um, And I I love coding, but coding actually doesn't love me. And I would always code in circles, um, but I always love keeping my pulse on technology and where it's going. And I thought, and I love to learn, I'll look up some blogs I will I will teach myself and (laughs) and that's how uh, we ended up getting into um, you know AI and machine learning um, for for natural language processing was also that curiosity into um, you know how we're going to do this and and get it done
1: I really like what you said there sir about loving to learn Um, which really relates to, I guess, my experience. Um, I founded a company called Sonisig, and the entire thing behind that was based on passion. Um, so uh, I had had somebody that I was really close with at the time um, who had just gotten into vaping and smoking and those sorts of things. And I was really inspired to find a way to improve that technology. Um, if you have ever seen those ultrasonic humidifiers that uh, create that kind of uh, cool vapor, I was trying to take that uh, technology and essentially apply it. Hey, right there, Stacy, um, trying to apply that to the world of um, vapes because they had just come out at the time um, to try to make them safer. Back before the FDA had any kind of regulations on it, um, <laughs> there were a lot of uh, crazy things happening with it. Um, So unfortunately, that ended up being non-viable from a uh, cost perspective, Um, but it is actually really widely used in the medical industry. So it's cool to kind of see how I learned so much even from that failure of the company itself um, and kind of speaks to that loving to learn and um, path of curiosity that you were talking about too,
3: Rose. So I'm curious, um, were you ever part of a startup before you founded your startup
2: or? Was it just, I'm jumping, he- you know, heels in,
6: right into it? So, um, I can speak to that um, a little bit. So um, after um, graduating from grad school, um, and, and I made a big switch from the consulting uh, world, knowing that I wanted to get into uh, cacao. Um, and so I, I was very new to that industry. And um started working for a um, hot cakes which is a a wonderful um, chocolate uh, and bakery company in Seattle Um, and then they actually then suggested that I um, help another entrepreneur with their startup in the chocolate world Um, and so both of those experiences working um, with founders was very eye-opening to me and seeing them um, through their struggles, but like put one foot in front of the other. Um, and seeing uh, to, to Rose's point, like the back end of operations of a company and what that takes to like drive, um, you know, that that mission and like having that veil kind of um, pulled open was was very eye opening to me.
5: I'll jump in, I, and I guess just to go back to um, that distinction that I made previously about uh, small business versus startup. I mean, I had been around small businesses um, for much of my life, and had started that previous uh, small business uh, before business school, and then after um, getting my MBA, um, or I should say, along throughout the duration, I started um, consulting for a number of other um, uh, early stage tech companies, and that was a real transition. Um, and I think you know if anybody here is thinking about um, starting their uh, a company of their own, I would definitely recommend getting exposure, um, especially if you can find something that is um, venture backed and really high growth, uh, because it's a completely different experience than uh, than a small business, um, just in terms of um, speed and grit and hustle and expectations and you know just a whole different level of crazy. <laughs> and so, I'd I'd really recommend uh, you know cutting your teeth on that before um, you know venturing out on your own. Um, if you can. Um, otherwise, like I mentioned before, you know, small businesses are also, um, you know, can bring uh, can be very rewarding, and um, you know, a lot of people um, kind of inherit them through their family um, or have an idea for something that is, um, you know, more, um, you know, close to home in some way. In which case, that that's also valuable. Um, but they're but they're very different paths. And I think if you want to go the latter, it's definitely important to, um, to like I said, to to get some. Um, you know, get some real training by uh, doing it with somebody else first.
1: Megan, I know you talked a little bit about um, what uh, the trajectory is like between a small business and a startup, but I know we had a question uh, a little bit about more of the context in contrasting between those two. Do you think uh, you or anybody else could speak a little bit more about that context and setting the stage for some people who may
5: not be quite as familiar about that? Um, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think, uh, actually it's Y Combinator that defines, uh, you know, the difference as, uh, exponential growth. Um, and, uh, that I think is a pretty good, um, you know, blanket statement. Um, oftentimes small businesses are looking to, um, sustain their family or are looking to, um, like I said, solve a certain problem, um, that may be like near and dear to their heart, Um, and it can be, you know, let's say fall into more of the quote unquote lifestyle category. Um, a startup typically is um, something that's venture backed or venture backable, uh, and is um, seeking to um, achieve exponential growth, exponential scale, exponential in- impact, and that's often through uh, through tech, and it's also often through capital and through resources. And so, um, you know, there's kind of a whole let's say uh, I don't know cult of belief around what what a startup is and how how to do one, um, and uh, you know you can go very very deep on that topic, of course. Um, but I think. At the most kind of you know rudimentary or superficial level, that's that's probably the distinction. Um, so you know much greater risk um, in many cases, um, and and much greater scale, um, and you know no value judgment about you know which of the two is better. It just um, you know kind of um, depends on which sort of adventure you're you're up for. <laughs> so I, I'm sure other people have uh, have views on that
3: definition as well. I'd love to hear. That was a
4: really good, uh, very good definition. So I, I will say that, you know, um, you know, thinking about like a, a, a small business versus a startup, it is exactly, I have the same thought. Like, you know, when I was actually, you know, had a management consulting company, that was a small business to me. And I didn't really get into the startup um, world until my next adventure, um, after working in the um, you know working with MCI and working with in telecom, um I ended up um, starting to um, you know work with a company that was in the utilities industry. and, for any of you guys that don't really know much about it, that, you know, energy is extremely complex. And it was at that time, it was very dynamic. And so they were starting to install smart meters and every utility in every place was starting to install these smart meters. Once again, I got trapped by the, oh, there's a, there's an actual signal that goes from the meter that comes back to, <laughs> there's a way to, to capitalize on this. And so I actually started, um, I created a product um, through the back end that allows us to do like this really complex testing of um, these meters. And um, so I ended up um, starting to work with a company that I prototyped it in in Manila. And that company ended up buying the software directly, you know, from me after a number of years. And then ultimately they sold it to Oracle. So kind of probably should have stayed a little bit, a little bit longer than, than what I did. But it was very, um, you know, it was very enjoyable for me because it was that opportunity to go into an industry that was changing drastically. It was really reinventing itself and and just the way that we consume, you know, their product and in, 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 the indig- in, in the industry. And I came in and I found that little, you know, that nice little niche, you know, that I could go through and I could actually help and I could build technology around. And so for me, I, I did that probably for a good 15 years. And it just became, you know, I was able to scale it. I was able to grow the business. You know, I worked with some of the largest utility companies, Con Edison, PG and E, others implementing using this tool. So it was, uh, it was very, it was very desirable, you know, for me to to be in a space that was just changing so much and that had such a need for technology to um, to get to the next level. So.
2: Wow, that's really amazing. I, I love. I love that kind of definition, right? You can't,
3: you can be a business by yourself, but you can't be a startup without scale. And so as part of that, how have you secured funding, either in this current
2: iteration of the startup that you're currently in, or in prior, you know, self-funding, investors, seed rounds, alternative
3: investments. Friends and family, what what does that look like? And what can it look like at various stages? I think the short answer is talking to a lot of people Uh,
1: (laughs) and being okay with being told no (laughs) and not giving up on that. Um, But I'm sure some of these amazing other speakers have a lot more insight.
4: So, my current startup um, is Exposure. It is an, um, an ed tech company that specializes in um, esports and digital careers of the future and we are um, our company is a, is 100% bootstrapped um we have not gone you know we have not sought out um, investor funding it's been bootstrapped from from day 1 and a big part of why um we've uh, d- didn't haven't had the need to 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 go the VC route is because we actually spent quite a bit of time developing our intellectual property like we were able to develop that intellectual property able to get our patent done on it. And then for us, there was a a, a lull in what we were doing because because, like I said, I'm I'm really attracted to these emerging industries. Esports was an emerging industry. And I got involved because my son is um, is, is a gamer. Actually, I've got two sons that are both of them ended up being gamers. And, And one of the son, he actually works with me. He's our CEO in the current company. And um, he's always wanted to do, um, he always wanted to do eSports. I had no idea what eSports is because obviously that's outside of my, you know, my, you know, my age range, but I remember that like after he went to college, you know, he was, he was never calling home for money. And I thought this is so strange, you know, like what college kid is not calling home for money. I need to go figure out what's going on. So I go up there to visit him in his dorm. There's like these, you know, these Xboxes and PlayStations everywhere. Like his whole room is just, you know, is just covered with them and what he was doing Doing it. He'd started his own business inside of his dorm. He'd actually started to repair Xboxes and PCs for all the students at the college. And then once he was able to get their device, he could understand exactly what games they were playing. So then he started going to the, you know, the student center into small businesses. And then he started arranging Call of Duty tournaments and then, you know, all of these different tournaments because he was so aware of what everyone was playing. So after he graduated from, um, from college, he went to Silicon Silicon Valley and started. Um, at a company there. And then when he came back, he just, this was his thing. He wanted to be in esports. And um, we would have lots of conversations about it. And I said, you know, the problem with esports is it needs technology. It absolutely needs some type of technology. It's, a, it's an emerging industry, and it's exciting, and there's so many people out there that are engaging in this competitive sports, but there's not a, a, an ecosystem that's built on technology, and we really need to change that. So that was how we started the company, where we built this platform that allows um, you know, students to, you know, to get educated the way that they gain. And it's a totally immersive system, and all of the really cool things that you do as a part of gaming, you can actually do inside of this learning platform. So that's how, how I got started. And for us, you know, um, I'm, you know, there's never a right answer of whether you bootstrap or go VC funding. But for us, um, we had a different challenge. We actually had to educate. Um, everyone about esports and so there was a, a real lull in there where we were just able to go to colleges and school districts and there was a lot of that whole, you know, a lot of hard work just going out there getting everyone to understand what is esports and it, it's, it's more than just having a controller in your hand. You know it's digital it's supported by digital careers and, and, if, and if anyone doesn't think that that there's a fortune 500 company out there that's not digital they would be wrong, because here's the thing how, how do you run a business when no one can leave the house. You run digitally, right? Like COVID showed us that every single company is a digital company. So um, for us, it, there was just, we had like a lot of time to just, you know, just that grassroots community going out there, talking to businesses, helping to explain the connection between, you know, gaming and esports and learning and digital careers. And for us, it, it worked.
3: There are
5: a couple of things that I really love about that story. Um, one is the the motivation to bootstrap and two is the um, hustling on the side until you kind of find your North star. It's both of those are phenomenal examples. Um, I think uh, I, I would agree that there's sort of no right and wrong way, but um, I think um, the numbers also show us, um, you know, that less less than 2% of all venture capital goes to women founded companies. And so if you're thinking about starting your own, uh, entity, um, you'd better be prepared to get creative and to um, to do what you can to um, you know to to sustain as long as you possibly can with the you know um, potential downside that it, that could take you a little bit longer than um, anticipated to raise. So that might mean looking at things like customer led growth. Um, that's certainly um, something I did for the first couple companies um, that I built. So finding creative ways to you know sell first, deliver second. Um, and you know, certain industries or businesses um, can can tolerate that a little bit more than others. Um, but uh, I, I would definitely recommend that. Um, also, um, there's a ton of um, government grants out there. Um, also, um, other kinds of non dilutive capital. But um, just I guess be be prepared um, that you know it may take uh, you know as a woman in tech it may take a little bit longer than you hope for, and um, you may also want to kind of um, resort to more creative means. Um that said, angel funding can be a phenomenal uh, way to get going. Um there are, of course, um, tons and tons of really successful women out there who love investing in um, other women led companies. Um, and so um to Haley's point, definitely start start talking and and activate your network early. Um, and then um, yeah, the venture capital route, I think is is the right thing for um you know for most um, tech startups that are aiming to achieve that, you know high growth and fast pace and um, and and that scale on a, um, you know, kind of um, quicker uptick. Um, I think uh, the other thing um, that's, you know, sort of worth considering is just, you know, how, um, you know, what is your sort of personal risk level like and, um, you know, is there something that you can get off the ground um, while you still have the stability um, of uh, a full-time role um, that may not be viewed as, um, you know, all in um, to a VC. So they, they may kind of... Evaluate the fact that you're not full time as um, you know a limiter to your ability to to truly run and grow a company, Uh, but um, if you can you know find other people that um, are willing to dive in um, you know with you simultaneously. um, You know that can also be can be really helpful, so I think you know um, uh, Rose and also myself, you know we um, and maybe some of the others here um, were able to kind of take a risk because of previous successes and so. Um, you know, that's that's just something to really evaluate carefully. Like, are you in the position um, to take that risk? You know, are you able to build on previous you know successes? Are you able to kind of siphon off um, some capital um, out of a previous win and and use that towards you know allocate that towards um, your next um, endeavor? Um, but in the end, yeah, it's a really it's a really personal decision, and um, you know, it's it's definitely tough in the in the venture climate. Um, there are also a lot of stats that show that, um, women who have a male co-founder, um, fair, I think it's 38% better than women alone. <laughs> so, um, just another thing to keep in mind, uh, and, you know, um, and, and, I'll kind of anticipate, um, something that we'll probably talk about later on, but, you know, how, how can you truly, um, you know, like what, what are some of the things that, uh, are, are shocking or, um, you know, what are some of the things that somebody ought to know about ahead of time? And um, I would definitely say um, just really making sure that you're surrounding yourself with the right kind of support network. And that includes both people who are willing to build with you as well as people who are willing to fund you, as well as people who um, are there to, you know, either um, kick you back into shape and tell you to keep going or, you know, to tell you, um, you know, to offer a um, useful piece of constructive advice. So you're, you're gonna really need um, all the resources that you can get.
6: Definitely, I would, I echo all that and um, kind of tying it back to the previous uh, question of uh, with like small business and, and venture, I think thinking through ahead of time, like what is your personal purpose? And when you're starting, you know, this journey, um, you obviously are going to be very inclusive of your team, but at the beginning you have to really think about why are you doing this? Like what are, what is going to make you get up, you know, every day and take that step forward. Um, And then the the other part of it is then really listening to those customers and those clients, because that's going to really like open doors and channel you forward. Um, and I had very different experiences with United by Chocolate and now at, at Row Impact, um, both with that as well as like fundraising. So, um, United by Chocolate, um, it is now a 501c3. It was never the intent to be a nonprofit. I don't come from a nonprofit background at all. It was always going to be, you know, with a social impact focus, but. Um, listening to the those customers and the industry itself and how we were going to make change led us to uh, the 501c3 which then um funding a nonprofit. wow like poof learning curve um totally different and um a a lot of that was self-funded um at, at the beginning um and then learning how to fundraise partnerships um as um megan was mentioning like how you can get creative on um, being able to fund all those other costs associated with creating a business and and looking like how you set up contracts um, and then getting your finances in order from the very beginning will really save you um, a lot of, of headache down the road um, if you are going to raise money and be able to really explain your financial story um, to other folks. Um, and, and that's where we are now with Row Impact. Um, we have been primarily bootstrapped um, but now are actually in the process um, of fundraising. Um, and I can tell you from being the one um, on those financial statements that they are very important. So um, happy to elaborate on on that with. Um, with others as well. So. Um, I really look- asked a, oh, sorry. to for it, Rose. Ask, if someone asked a
4: question about how do you get your, your first employee, and I, I wanted to offer up a suggestion for us. We worked with community colleges, we worked to college, we got interns, and we heavily used inter- interns. And I think one of the great things about what we're doing is apparently everyone that's in college likes the game right like they all were very interested in coming you know coming on and working with a startup that was in the gaming industry and so for us that that has been extremely helpful because they come in and they're um you know they bring great ideas and they bring innovation and they're able to bring their story to exposure and um so when they're looking at our product you know our product market fit it works very seamlessly because we've got all these interns in and that's exactly who our market is and they're able to give us great ideas so I would say that if you're looking to start a business you know please don't um, you know um, ignore like community colleges going to the high schools looking for interns because believe it or not these kids are really smart. They are super smart and, you know, they are out, um, they're tech savvy, they're, you know, they're willing to, um, you know, they're willing to, you know, to embrace a new concept, they're willing to, you know, they don't have that fear, right? And so um, they are extremely valuable. So I would suggest that if you're looking for your first employee, and especially if you're bootstrapped and you may not have the, the funds to hire a full-time, really think about interns and think about college, college students and high school students and how they can help your business. Rose, that's
1: really creative with uh, how you kind of established that with um, creative sources for where you're finding your first employee. I mean, you talked about product market fit. And if y'all aren't familiar with those terms, I highly recommend going and looking up what the product market fit is. I mean, I know we've had some other questions about what do you think about incubators and accelerators? Um, I went through accelerators myself and I thought they were the most Uh, useful and beneficial thing for me, especially at that time, because I came with an engineering background saying, oh, I have this great idea that everybody's gonna want. Um, And I didn't understand at the time that not everybody just wants an idea. How do I actually figure out what the need is? How do I take that single idea and truly make a business plan around it? Because it even ties back to our conversations about investors, how do you get capital? How do you get funding? Something may be a really cool idea, But if you take the time to sit down, whether it's in in an incubator or not, to create a basic business plan, um, it'll help you in so many areas of your business as you grow it, where are you gonna get that funding? Um, And it doesn't have to remain the same, but it gives you a really good foundation of where you're gonna go for these kinds of things.
2: And I wanted to kind of tag along onto that Haley, like it's so important that you know things about the legal system. With regards to so many early startups, startups probably shouldn't be an LLC. Should you incorporate locally? Should you incorporate in Delaware? Depends on what you're trying to do, right? Are you going to be a C Corp or something else? All of these things affect your ability to accelerate, affect your ability to raise funds, affect your ability to do things like distribute stock. and. How many people know about that when they are just talking about an early stage idea? So when uh, Bhavya asked, how do we start? It's amazing to hear from each of our panelists that starting is a collection of things that you learn over time that help you
3: establish the business that you want and the growth that you want early on. Because if you don't have that foundation,
2: it's really hard to go back and potentially change or address those things, especially when we talk about funding, right? Because if you don't have the right corporation and you've given out contracts that say, based off of this investment, we've given you this much percentage, you have to rework the whole thing potentially. Has anybody run into, I didn't know, scenarios as part of building their first businesses or building
4: their first startups?
3: um,
4: I didn't, but we, um, you know, our business actually had to pivot. We um, actually started during covid and so it's a it's a, a a great story about how you can set out you know set out to do one thing and then all of a sudden something happens that you know just turns your world upside down. So I would say that actually having a business plan, including that business plan, some of the other things that you think that your product can be used for, because you never know when you're going to have to pivot, right? And with us, it was very much we were um, originally started out pre-COVID um, doing more of the competition side. You know, we had an esports arena that was about thirty thousand square feet and we were bringing in, you know, professional and we were training uh, professionals as well as, you know, holding competitions. So when COVID happened, our company was one of the first ones to get shut down because we were so large. So then, um, you know, what ended up happening, we already had it in our business plan. It was on our future, you know, growth that we would want, we wanted to go into education. And so as and when COVID happened, we schools started reaching out to us and said, you know, there's no basketball, there's no volleyball, there's no physical sports. What can you do in esports? And we were ready to capitalize on that. We were ready to go. We were, we had already our intellectual property. We were able to go in and during so for us, as as terrible as it was during COVID, we were prepared. We already had, you know, this future roadmap that we just accelerated and said, let's go ahead and let's start getting into education. And that's really so I, I say that all to say that. You know, as you're thinking about your business plan, you know, um, you know, really think about not just what you're doing today, but think about what you're, you know, what you're going to be doing tomorrow and what that roadmap looks like, because you never know when you're going to have to accelerate it. It could be the acceleration could come from that some great guy comes along or, you know, a great, you know, company comes along and wants to give you money. Like, what are you going to do with it, right? Like, oh, how are you going to, you know, um, you know, accelerate your roadmap? How are you going to use it wisely? Where is it that you're trying to go? I think that you have to really think. Think broadly about your business plan and um, think about, um, you know, your future markets, your roadmap, and then how your product fits um, and will evolve in the future. It's never too uh, early
3: to start thinking about that.
6: Um, I'm definitely one that has, um, you know, not known <laughs> what to do, especially with the the nonprofit uh, example there, where that was, you know, completely new to me. Um, I will say there are people is your best friend. Um, <laughs> use it. Get on the phone with people, as Megan said. Like surround yourself um, with with folks that can help support you. Um, I. There are some great people at the IRS. Um, I have been on the phone across the board. <laughs> um, you know, it might take a while um, to get a hold of somebody, but people will help you out. Um, and let's see, a couple of notes here that I was writing down um, Small Business Development Center, the SBDC. Um, There are locations um, in every state with mentors, people that donate their time. It's completely free. There's um, great classes online, Um, and one of the silver linings with COVID is that a lot has been put online, and so you have access to, to a lot more information and mentors now. Um, that are are free and more accessible. Um, y Combinator, Megan had mentioned um, they all, uh, their program. They during COVID also expanded. They have a great online program that is available to everybody and wonderful videos. Um, that's something that I used for myself to keep myself accountable when I was a team of one um, at United by Chocolate and. Um, gives you great like check-ins and um, even weekly um, meetups with other founders um, a great resource there for also finding co-founders and you can do like matching um, dates through that platform Um, yeah I'll stop talking Um, but (laughs) those are a couple of ideas I wrote down there
5: those are amazing concrete resources, and I've literally never heard any recommendation to call the IRS. I'm impressed. <laughs> You've got a lot more tenacity than I do there. <laughs> um, I, I was going to say, um, you know, mistakes uh, always, um, you know, uh, but the goal would be to, you know, try to in, uh, minimize the gravity or the impact of those mistakes. Um, it's like you can never see around the corner, um, of course, building a company, but uh, you know, you can only sort of. Um, I think you know, and I like to say that the way that you uh, learn to become a founder or a CEO is by becoming a founder or CEO, right? There's no, um, there's no, there's no playbook to follow, but um, in the spirit of trying to minimize those risks um, or minimize the impact of, of your mistakes, um, it's, it's incredibly helpful to surround yourself with um, a lot of mentors. I, I usually like to, um, to formalize uh, mentors and have people that are, you know, um, early um, equity holders in the company and that, you um, you know, can sort of align um, their, you know, what they bring to the table with um, with the company's interests. And um, I look for people who know more than me about something or who are better than me about something or who've done something similar or the same as, um, as what I'm trying to do. Um, and so um, I do lean on them a lot. Um, and um, I think that's, I think that's really critical. Um, and you know, founders really need um, not just resources like in the company, but also kind of, you know, it's almost like you need concentric circles. So you need different kinds of advice, you know, people playing different kinds of roles. Um, of course, your personal relationships um, and, you know, friendships can be, uh, you know, helpful or hindering there too. Um, and so um, I think, you know, um, mistakes are inevitable and it's really, um, you know, making sure that you've got the right, the right people to help you, you um, you know, kind of correct your mindset and, and coach you, um, you know, um, out of, out of touch on.
2: So is it fair to say that, uh, there's a fair number of businesses who seek additional investment just so that they can get that kind of advisory, uh, capacities of various investment firms, uh, and, you know, expand their mentor circles, especially further on where they might already be a profitable business.
5: I'll jump in. I think um, companies really um, ought to, in the early days, look for um, value at venture capitalists um, if that's the path that they choose to go down. So, um, a lot of VCs, um, in theory, do know something about scaling that kind of company, um, or do already have connections that are going to be helpful um, to that company. Or, um, you know, later when they take a board seat, um, presumably they're also um, people that really understand um, what the company is trying to achieve and can be a source of um, advice and and um, and you know, coaching there too. Um, that doesn't always happen, of course, but um, but certainly, you know, if you if you can um, kind of influence the direction of your your early backers, um, or I should say, if you can influence the direction of um, you know the the types of um, companies that you're speaking with, and and who ends up um, getting on your cap table, then that's
6: all the more advantageous. Kind of circling back to a thought um, Rose had made about the um, getting interns and and support that way. Um, I I just remembered, um, in the spirit of like the board of directors and getting support also with that is, I've had um, universities be very supportive, giving mentors to the interns. And then that has been a funnel to then getting board of advisors to um, our organization. And so kind of being able to see like your funnel to advisors, um, I found to to be very helpful in the long term. So let's assume that you have your co-founders, you have an
2: idea of your business, you've really already made the right steps in terms of that initial investment. What does it look like to make the actual no one wants to chime in. Oh, it was that scary.
4: I know the leap is scary. Beware of the leap. <laughs> um, I I would say that, you know, first of all, I think that before you take take the leap, there's some things that you have to have um, your own personal house in in order right because you know having a startup and and it is is almost like you know having a baby that is in icu right it is like you're like you know you are you are everything to this business you're the air the water the you know the sand the, the you, you're breathing everything for this business and you're not able to give everything to the business if you have a lot of other things going on in your personal life and i know personal things happen and that you can't really avoid them, but you really need to uh, interrogate if if this is the actual right time for you to start a business, right? Um, Because it it requires so much of your time and so much of your commitment. And um, oftentimes I've I've known um, entrepreneurs that have gotten um, you know, started businesses and then, you know, they're divorced, right? Because there's, there's, you know, so much time and attention that's required for the business that they're not having time for their personal lives. So I would say the first thing before you even take that leap, make sure that you're on solid ground, make sure your ground is not shaky because you're going to need that solid ground and you're going to need a solid support of, you know, friends and family and mentors and other people that are on this scary journey with you. There's so many things that you need, that you're going to need. So I would say, that just make sure that you're on solid ground and that this is the right time for you to, to start your business. Um, there's nothing wrong with holding on to an idea until you get to the right moment in your life to do it. But um, there is something really wrong when you, when you, when you start a business and you've got you know a lot of things that actually you know um, interfere with with your ability to um, to carry that business forward, right? Because this business is an ICU. If you're not carrying it forward, it's not going forward. So just make sure that you're on really solid ground, and then it's the right time
3: um, for you to take that leap.
6: Hundred percent. Echo uh, what Rose said. Um, I guess following kind of that lead, and then once you um, have gotten that personal house in order and you have that support, um, kind of shifting to, to the customer side and then starting to flush out your ideas and, and test it, uh, just like you you know do beta testing with technology, I would say the same thing um, flows over to the business side. Um, I wish I remember what this stood for, but I went through a program called ICAP. Um, it's a government um, run program and they, they really emphasize customer interviews. Um, and that was super eye-opening um, for me. Um, and like, you have to really be in there with your customers and really understanding and like peeling back the layers. Um, and I think, Giving yourself that time to peel back the layers of those ideas um, will be very fruitful. And you yourself will also feel even more empowered to then keep taking those steps like forward.
2: So, what do you mean by getting your house in order? Does this mean that you have set yourself up to have 12 months of personal runway? Or does this mean that you've kind of taken you know all of this investment from you know kind of ground stage starts and really put it towards this this one idea what does that do in terms of your obligations what does that do in terms of the way that you run your business at least initially in that leap
4: so um one of the things I will say is I think that you know Megan said this this earlier like you know it's always gonna take if you're if you're bootstrapping it'll take you way more money than you ever thought it was going to take for you to be successful right? And so you've got to be in for the long haul. You've got to have um, your you've got to have a plan in place in, in case this does take a lot longer than you expect. Because we all start businesses, and it would be great if we started a business and then all of a sudden we had customers that were just lining up, you know, um, you know, to take take advantage of our, our product. But oftentimes it does not work that way. There's um, usually a, a long runway. And, um, and I wanna dive into the, run, the runway a little bit because as you're going through this process of building your business, there are a lot of days where you're going to have self self-doubt. There's going to be a lot of days where you feel like that you're not being seen, your product is not being seen. there's going to be a lot of days where you're going to say, you know, I wish I hadn't gone down this route, or I wish I had waited, or who knew I'd get pregnant, or, you know, and, and you know, oh, my husband's job, you know, transferred and now we've got to. So I'm saying that those things you can't always see into the future. But you can certainly, you know, make sure that, you know, you're in, you know, that you're um, mitigating some of those things to, to begin with. And, and part of mitigation, I, I hate to say it, is oftentimes it comes down with being, you know, um, resource of uh, financial resources. Um, That takes a lot of the stress and allows you to weather some of the storms and if you're starting a business and you're you know bootstrapping is very hard it's it's not an it's not an easy thing to do, but on the same, on the other hand, um, getting VC capital is not, it's not easy either right because you know VCs they love their money and they want to return on their investment and they want to know that they're going to get a return on their investment. And just as much as you, you you love the money that you're putting into a business and you're hoping that that business will give you a return on your investment. Um, so I, I would just say that it's, you know, there's going to be some, some days where um, your vision is not going to be so clear to you. And I think in those days, when I say getting your house in order, that having someone that you can go talk to, you know, having someone that's going to support you, somebody that is, has gone down, you know, has taken this journey, is going to be the difference between, you know, you having a really bad day and getting up that next morning and saying, you know what, I
3: can conquer anything. Yeah, cuz it's another form of sales, right, Rose? You have to sell that you are that one in 10 of their
2: investments that's going to just rocket up the sky. Cuz that's what they're counting on, right? They, they want all of them to succeed, but the reality is that 1 in 10 is going to be a massive success for them, at least on the traditional uh, SV scene that, I, that, that I'm privy to on the tech side. But, you know, it's, you're selling regardless, right? Do each of you consider
3: yourself salespeople? Do you consider yourself trustworthy salespeople? How did you become a good, trustworthy salesperson? Practice? No.
1: (laughs) I can speak to that one because I think uh, Esther brought up earlier uh, customer interviews. Um, I would say that I used to hate talking to people. I still struggle with it on occasion. But I think what uh, truly drives me and I think um, what drives a lot of entrepreneurs is the passion around what they're trying to do. So I think when you really lock into what you're trying to achieve and talking around that kind of becomes natural, I'd say that the thing I found most interesting is passion is contagious. Um, So when one person is really excited about that thing, um, they can sell it day in and day out. Um, I know my husband often tells me that um, when I, I I love it, getting brand new items and trying them out from small startups myself. Um, That's just something that I love doing on the side. And when I really love something, I just go to him and I'm like, wait, you gotta try out this new water bottle. It does this feature, this feature. And I don't even realize that I'm selling. So uh, it's really interesting to find the ways that we just naturally do that and lean into those things. I don't need, I'm not on the phone all day. I'm not, I don't consider myself somebody that's naturally good at sales. But I think that as we go through and kind of experience those things, just channeling your passion into that makes everything a little bit more natural, helps build that trust because truly in sales, it's about a trust level between you and who you're trying to sell to. Because I've been to events that you know somebody is just, even if you're talking about networking, somebody just hands you their business card and they're like, hey, um, really great to meet you here, check me out. But it's truly the people that take the time to understand why I'm there. That I remember for years later, and I end up grabbing coffee and reaching out to. So it's how are you connecting with those people, and how are you really connecting with you, communicating your passion?
5: I'll jump in, and I, I completely agree with uh, with passion. And um, you know, you are always a salesperson as a founder, right? You're you're selling to your customers, of course. You're selling to VCs or funders, uh, and you're of course most importantly selling to your team too. Um, you're always trying to um, rally them around around your vision, around the North Star. Um, how do you become a trustworthy salesperson is, is uh, I, I guess maybe um, I saw a comment here uh, that I, I should probably address. Um, when I mentioned earlier, um, sell first, deliver later, um, I was citing that as a very creative means to, you know, uh, achieve customer led, uh, you know, customer led growth. So um, early revenue into your company and kind of validation that you're, you're selling the right thing. But um, the delivery piece is also really important. <laughs> because if you don't deliver, then you won't, you won't have that trust. And then And then you're kind of dead in the water. So, um, you know, becoming a trustworthy person is um, not just in sort of like that vision and that passion and that pitching, but it's also in the ability to to deliver and to you know to show up um, and to um, you know complete that loop. So, just thought that was worth that was worth clarifying. (laughs) So,
6: in the getting your house in order, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't mention the the mom in me and the things I've had to get in order on that side of the personal house. Um, I have an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old now, um, but they were babies. And as Rose said, sometimes you get pregnant and (laughs) these things, you you don't have quite a timeline for them. Um, And I would say one thing that was really eye-opening to me working with uh, these early founders after grad school Specifically, there was a radio host that came in to hotcakes one day with his little baby for to do a sales pitch um, to us. And that always, I didn't even have kids at the time, um, but also having like growing that mental strength of no matter what, I'm going to move forward, you know, um, and it made me more comfortable to If my, you know, my kids are there with me, we're, we're still going forward. Like there's nothing stopping us. Um, And then as they've gotten older, the caretaking, um, we moved to where we are now. Uh, We're in Charlottesville, Virginia, from Seattle um, to be closer to family um, and um, as well as financially, we knew we couldn't afford to be in DC, which is where our family actually is. Um, But to be further out, knowing that one of us uh, would not be getting a paycheck, um, because I knew I was going to be starting United by Chocolate. Um, And then now, as they've gotten older, and I've transitioned to Row Impact, it's a different level of caretaking responsibilities, Um, and just interviewing a nanny the other day to try and get plans for the summer. Um, So, uh, that is, and very lucky that Row Impact is very supportive of that. And I don't, I don't know, um, like, as a startup, they're a very, I would say, mature startup since they've gone through, all, everybody on the founding team has gone through iterations of, of being a startup. And um, that's something I will certainly carry with me forward and um, supporting the whole self and not having that crazy startup um, pressure. Um,
2: Well, we are almost at time, and I wanted to give an opportunity for each of our panelists to tell us what they are up to and how we can get in contact or just follow them on their own startup. And
1: Let's all jump in together. No, um, <laughs> um, I'll go really quick. Um, So I am currently in between startups, but one of the ways that I've learned um, how to remain relevant is actually by working at other startups. It gives you an opportunity to learn how the ecosystem is different in different environments. It gives you access to kind of play around with different ideas, understand how co- different companies in different environments are built and even access to future investors or future employees. Um, but if y'all want to um, follow me on LinkedIn, that's where I'm most active. Um, you can just search me by my name um, um, and y'all can also follow me on um Instagram as well, but I'm mostly on LinkedIn, um, or if you want to have a conversation about startup things, or just need an ear to listen, I am always available for those things. Um, it's always great to make really great connections on
6: that. Pass the buck. book. No. <laughs> um, you can find me on social by Esther Bobbin. I'm, I'm across LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Um, and I, I haven't been that active since it has been a, a little busy um, on the startup uh, side of the house, but please feel free to reach out. I will respond um, to to messages. So I'm um, happy to, to answer any like follow up questions um, there. Thank you for uh, women who could for organizing this. This has been fantastic. Agreed. Thank you very much.
5: And same, uh, LinkedIn is is a fine place to connect. And, uh, you know, we have our company page there as well. Um, And definitely keep in touch. Uh, We have um, uh, gender equity as a company value. And so um, as, as you start to um, think about kind of what's next for you, um, you know, always happy to, um, to have a conversation with you either to, um, you know, if I can be of use pointing in the right direction or um, if population's hiring as well. So thanks. Thanks a lot for the opportunity.
4: And uh, once again, I want to echo thank you to Women Who Code for having such a great uh, panel here. It's been amazing, and um, you know I, I want to say that feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. If you just want to say hi, one of the things that I, I I will say in closing is that you know our we my business. I've been so blessed to have so many people that have, you know, given their time, their energy, you know, just even a conversation with me. And I definitely believe in paying that forward. And I'm, I'm not sure about other, you know, parts of the country, but one of the things that I love about living in Texas is that it is, um, it is very um, advice friendly. You will always find someone that's willing to listen to what you're saying, to listen to your dream, and opine on your dream and 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 will give you that that advice so I would say you know my mom used to always say a closed mouth can't get fed always ask for what you want and be very bold in your requests. if there's a mentor that you want to that you believe can help you get to the the, you know to to where you're trying to go don't be afraid to reach out to them on LinkedIn and introduce yourself and say listen you know I would love if you would consider you know mentoring me and you know and I you know I and and any time that you can give to me I would certainly appreciate it. I mean, be bold in your requests. You know, don't, you know, always know that what you're doing is valuable and someone else will come along. There's so many people that are willing to help you and you just have to ask. So I encourage you to keep continuing to build that network um, because it will grow and you will get support. You will not be alone in this, in this
6: endeavor. I noticed somebody asked in the chat if We're hiring, um, and kind of back to the the socials with reaching out. um, We are actually hiring for a CTO who will then be building out their team. Um, And I always love meeting um, with folks for a coffee chat um, to get to know them, and then um, happy to once we open up um, the the job postings for the greater team um, to let more folks know that that's open.
3: and just so people know there are so many great
2: resources out there in terms of consultancies for small businesses and startups as well as legal firms that will have specialty rates specifically around advice and filings especially for startups and small businesses and also pro bono services by not for nonprofits that really are you know just such a resource that it's, it's amazing what your community can do to support you in your growth journeys. So thank you so much to each and every one of our panelists tonight. And I couldn't imagine a better group of empowered women empowering the next generation of businesses right here, right now.
0: Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at womenwhocode. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash women who code thanks again for listening and remember to subscribe rate and comment